For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They have great podcasts you should go listen to, but they also have great technology that can help your business. The big reason why more than 300 of last year's unicorn startups use HubSpot is because there is no other software that keeps you better connected with your teams and your customers so you can crush all your business, sales, revenue, marketing goals. The new HubSpot Sales Hub brings you that power of an easy-to-use platform designed for today's top entrepreneurs, today's top sales teams, with 360-degree deal management and real-time reporting, you get accurate windows into every inch of your business. And with AI-powered tools like their new ChatSpot, you'll have a dedicated assistant that knows your business inside and out. ChatSpot enables your team with one-stop access to a ton of time-saving functions like pulling data, tracking calls, managing leads, scheduling emails. So trade cold calls for warm leads because when it comes to scaling sales, your software should be smart. And the solutions should be simple. Get on track for your best Q1 yet. Check out HubSpot Sales Hub at HubSpot.com slash sales. Olivia, you are fourth generation in the diamond in the diamond industry. Um, tell me. As somebody who has had obviously parents and grandparents and great grandparents who are in this industry, tell me their first reaction to how you decided to build out your business. Well, I was always told to never go into the diamond industry. Um, it was a dying industry. There was no future in it. That's what I was always told. Um, neither my parents, so my dad's side of the family came from, um, generations, uh, in the diamond cutting and diamond dealing portion of the business. Um, my dad's from Antwerp, Belgium, which used to be a really big, um, capital for diamond cutting. And my mom and my dad had their own antique jewelry business. Um, neither of them, you know, graduated from college. Um, my dad learned the trade from his dad and so on and so forth. So when they, they're both immigrants and when they came to America um, and had me, their goal wasn't for me to join into the industry. They were like, you know, we're really going to focus on education. We want you to have like the American dream, which is like to work like a really stable corporate career. Um, and but so when I decided, you know, I so it was never in my plan and it was never something that I was interested in until after I graduated from college. I went to NYU um, and I had been majoring in 
media communications, I really wanted to go into print journalism, which, you know, at the time was kind of a dying, um, <laughs> a kind of a dying industry in and of itself. <laughs> just, yes. So I was really unclear um, on what I wanted to do for the future. It was a tough job market at the time. So I wanted to extend schooling. Um, I had always known about GIA, which is the Gemological Institute of America. Um, there was a campus here in New York. And I pitched it to my parents. I wanted to extend schooling, go to GIA, become a graduate gemologist, and I would take my skills from there to leverage, you know, a corporate job in luxury jewelry. So maybe working at corporate at like a Tiffany or a Harry Wins and something like that was like my initial angle. But so they agreed. And when I went to uh, get my graduate gemologist degree, I really fell in love with diamonds and gemstones um i guess it was in my blood all along and i was really passionate about it and so this is what i wanted to pursue and i also met my now husband and co-founder while i was at gia so um you know he comes from a very different background um he was working in africa at a fair trade mine at the time um i started my career after graduating uh at tiffany on the engagement floor fell in love with bridal jewelry, diamonds specifically, and then started working um, in wholesale. So that's kind of how I got my first foot in the door. Why, why do you feel as though your, your, your family sort of warned you that diamonds are a dying industry? Was there, was there some truth to that? Coming from somebody who knows really nothing about the history of the diamond industry at all, is it outside of what you're building? a little bit of like a dying industry, I would say, so to speak? you know, the way things have been done um, for decades and it was the same way and it's a very antiquated and old school industry that is hesitant to innovation and change. Um, it, the way my parents did business and the way my grandparents did business is dead. It doesn't exist anymore or it's, it is dying and on its way out because the new generation of consumer is completely different and we shop completely differently. So when I got into the business, you know, the consumer who was getting their first engagement ring was someone who I could relate to. We grew up with the internet. We're very comfortable, like doing a ton of research online, um, knowing everything um, about the purchase and we're comfortable making the purchase online, um, but we want to be empowered. Before, you know, the diamond industry was always an industry that was cloaked in opaqueness, has like a kind of a sketchy reputation. You never know who to trust. That's why it's like, oh, you know, when I got started, I was working in wholesale. My now husband was in business school and a lot of people were like, hey, do you know a guy that can help get me a good deal on a ring? And that was like kind of the vibe. And I just happened to be like the go-to guy. So through working with clients and understanding the pain points and like the lack of trust and information, that's how I launched the clear cut in 2016 as an educational blog geared to millennials, um, started posting some designs on Instagram and through social media. That's how people found out about me and asked if I could create their custom rings like complete strangers. So I think the generation we you know, we just had to adapt to the new consumer. And I think that's with any industry. As new generations come along, new problems, new economic conditions. Um, yeah, certain ways of doing business die. But then it's just you have to adapt to the new way of doing things.
but it, but it really it is interesting that people like business owners, business leaders, people that ran this industry for so long are so set in their ways and they don't want to change. And you look at like the blockbusters and the hotel industry and the, and the cab industry. And this is just like another, another story of why people are not, why aren't people changing? And you did, you, you sort of led with education. You led with transparency because even the first iteration of the clear cut was a blog. It's like, it's literally giving over information for free. Yeah. And that's where we, our ethos is still today. It's like education, transparency, and educating and empowering the consumer to make the right purchase for them. And that's like the ideas and the foundations that we built our whole business on and how we're going to continue to build it. So coming from, so it's so interesting because you had, you had experience in the space, tons of experience. The model is something that has never been done before. So even walk me through when you're writing this blog, um, after you've, you know, you've, you moved on from Tiffany and you're, you're basically just a thought leader in the space and a subject matter expert, you're putting this together, this blog, uh, people start approaching you because you're transparent. They start to build trust or they start to trust you, excuse me. Um, how do you think through the first version of, of the clear cut? Like what is the take to market, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, it never was supposed to, it, I never had the intention of being an entrepreneur or starting a business. This was something fun that I was doing on the side during my lunch breaks before and after work. And I, through social media and the blog, you know, on just a whim was selling over a million dollars, like on like after work and on the side. So that's my now that's husband. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> that's so wild. So Kyle, my now husband um, and co-founder was in business school and he was like, you know, you have a business, like there's potential here that you must be filling some sort of white space in the market. If, you know, complete strangers who you've never met are like purchasing their most prized possessions they're making their biggest purchase with you through instagram dms so that really led us to take a step back and understand what was missing in the industry at the time it was you know either mom and pop jewelry stores that have been there for generations in your town and you know not a lot of optionality but you had that trust with them um but you you were paying a bit of a premium and then at the time, there were a lot of those online marketplaces popping up like the Blue Niles, the Brilliant Earths, and that was um, not very personalized, but had unlimited optionality, but you kind of had to do a lot of the research yourself, pick and choose, and it was kind of like a this box into this, and it wasn't that like romantic or handheld experience. And or you had to like know a guy in like a diamond district, and that was only if you, you know were in a city like New York or LA or Chicago that had that. And it was still like kind of giving you that not super transparent or trustworthy vibe. So we were like, okay, we're filling this void where, you know, our clients are online. They're on Instagram, Pinterest. They know exactly the look they're going for, the aesthetic. They don't want to compromise. They also know that they don't want to overpay. And of course, like there are luxury brands like the Tiffany's, you know, heritage brands that, you know, you're paying a premium for the brand name, but and the quality, but people didn't want to compromise on quality, aesthetic or price. And this is a really big purchase. Um, it's a really emotional purchase and what, probably one of the most expensive purchases young people make in their lives um, that come with 
you know, marriage and starting your life. So people do want to be handheld and have like a very personalized experience. So that's where we like kind of came in and we started out doing everything very unscalably. So once we realized there was a problem in the market and that we had a potential business, we decided to quit our jobs um, and pursue it full time. We got into a tech accelerator here in New York called Techstars in 2018. And that's mm-hmm. when I know them. Yeah. officially launched it. Um, and it was really to do do everything as unscalably as possible to understand the pain points to one day build out a system that we could scale this very, um, you know, one-on-one experience. So our goal was always to democratize this private jewelry space that was once only, you know, accessible to, you know, very high net worth individuals, celebrities like to have your own private jeweler to handpick your diamonds, create a custom ring, but to democratize that idea and scale it. So first started off with just the custom diamond engagement rings. And then a lot of our clients came back saying, hey, it's time for wedding bands or it's an anniversary. Can you make me this or this or that? So we started making these custom fine jewelry pieces and then finally launched our clear cut collection a year later in 2019, which are our everyday fine jewelry pieces and wedding bands, um, which is one of the fastest growing categories. Um, the following year, we in 2020, um, we were named Forbes 30 under 30. We had so much momentum and we were like, this is the time that we're going to build this proprietary software that we always dreamed of building because we knew how the process worked um, very intimately. Um, so we started building this technology in like February of 2020. And then in March, uh, obviously COVID happened and everything locked down. Um, we manufacture everything in New York, so we like couldn't do anything. So we're kind of at a standstill, but we took that moment as an opportunity to really double down on the tech, um, and which proved to be, you know, very, um, a very good decision, which was scary at the time to spend the money to do that when we didn't know what was going to happen. But, you know, most of our competition and all, um, you know, retailers, brick and mortar retailers were closed. So it ended up being a really great time, um, in the, custom jewelry or like diamond space well i was gonna i was gonna say i i feel like covid was this huge opportunity for businesses that were tech enabled that did have like a finger on the pulse of their market and a lot of horrible things happened to a lot of businesses but for people who understood where they were going it could be this this tool that just allowed a massive amount to gain a massive amount of distance on like the legacy industry, so to speak. So people that went online, people that figured out, again, how to sort of triple down on tech. This is what really, you know, took where you were that was already successful and then put you light years ahead of Diamond District broker with a you know, little piece of paper on the wall on a street in New York. All of a sudden, it's like a, it's a you, you've just captured tons of market share yeah, really, in, a, well, in a very short period of time by being so tech first. The inevitable of what was happening to the industry. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm curious when you, you know, when, when you're, when you're launching these products year after year and you had so much, you had so much traction, even like pre-formal marketing, what is the, what is the strategy? I know you've used social a lot. So obviously like you, you know, the audience, well, you've not just their buying habits, but their, uh, the way they consume content, the way they're advertised to the way they consume information. Um, so what worked the best? What was the thing that really in your mind outside of just again, business model, but marketing strategy that really moved the needle? I mean, we, you know, inherently we started, like I said, as an educational blog and then 
um, through social media, first Instagram, um, and now TikTok has been a really big platform for us, you know, continued with that education first. So we built like a very strong community of people who really love, you know, diamonds and jewelry. And we say like a lot of our followers and clients know more information than a lot of salespeople at local jewelry stores because we get so niche and so deep. So it was really carving out that community through our educational content. And that's something that's still a huge priority for us. We do very, very little paid marketing actually. And most of it is organic. Um, It's really important for us. Like I'm still the one I've offloaded a lot of responsibilities. Um, through growing this business, but I'm still the one that is in charge of like all of our social media. I'm the one answering all of the DMs. I'm in charge of like all of the ideas for the content we produce every single day. Um, You know, we have like a cadence of, you you know, kind of like a schedule of what we do so people can expect on Wednesdays that we'll have our Q&A, that on Fridays we'll have our longer form educational videos. And then in between kind of doing like these mini series, um, especially with TikTok, but that kind of all are things that, um, you know, our customers really look forward to and like engage with. We're really transparent about pricing, um, sourcing, um, all of that things that, you know, maybe you can't get that information from other outlets. And and tell me something, because obviously you're killing it on social and I I totally respect that you didn't just outsource it and you, you take such care as a founder in, in like the strongest marketing channel that you own. And you still care about it immensely, even though you could probably find somebody talented to figure it out. So what I'm curious about and what I think you've done exceptionally well is you've built community. And obviously, you've not just built an audience on social, but you have people interacting and engaging. You've built a really strong community, which I think is already tough enough. The question, though, is I can see it being, quote unquote, slightly easier to build community if you have a product that people purchase a lot. They purchase it every month. It's a recurring product. It's something they need every single month but for for a diamond or a ring people do the research and then they make a purchase and i know you have adjacent products and and other products that you can sell to people but the main product the main purchase is a is a, a couple thousand tens of thousands of dollars depending on your budget diamond ring or or ring and you still keep them around you still get people involved in the community so my question is community building is hard enough how do you get somebody to care about a community after they've bought the actual product that they came here for? What keeps them around? Well, I think it's a couple of things. You know, when we first started, we always had a theory that your engagement ring was the gateway drug to subsequent fine jewelry purchases. Meaning once you get your engagement ring, then you, you know, start obsessing over your wedding bands, anniversary gifts, push presents, all of that. What we realized is, yes, that is definitely true, but as we are engaging with new audiences, younger audiences, different platforms like TikTok, we have a lot of people who dream about their engagement ring, like since they're a little, you know, kid, but, you know, are not quite there yet, but love learning about it, are obsessed with it and love all of our other products um, that might be a little bit more accessible before it's time for their, you know, proposal. So, you know, we do find that we have a lot of clients who have like purchased our, you know, gold hoops or our lockets or even our accessories like our Lux Traveler. Um, And then, you know, 
when the time comes for their engagement ring, they know exactly what they want. They've been researching it. And I think it's a unique product where it's not like socks or something. Like it is um, something so symbolic and something that you hopefully wear every single day for the rest of your life and will pass down um, for generations to come. And it is a pretty complex um, uh, product and there's a lot to know about it. So people become like obsessed with learning about it, the products, the product itself, the product surrounding it. And, you know, it inspires a lot of people to even, you know, go to GIA or become, um, go into the jewelry industry because they get so into it. So I think it is like a unique product in that way where yes, it's one big purchase. There are other products surrounding it, of course, that you can always engage with, but it's not like an every month or, you know, every even couple of months type of purchase. It's maybe a few times a year, once a year for like a big, uh, you know, for Christmas or an anniversary or something like that. Um, but it is, it's, these are the types of products that people like fall in love with and there's so much to learn around it and you can never stop talking about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course. So I, 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 that makes a lot of sense. You get, it's, <laughs> I love the term is a gateway drug for, <laughs> <laughs> it's you do get people hooked though because again nobody's really done this nobody's really focused on education and it's strange to me that a company seems to think not yours obviously the traditional way of thinking is let's gate let's gate the knowledge let's gate the information and just pray that somebody makes a purchasing decision based on what fear emotion lack of education and it's just like a it is a shady way to do business to be quite honest well because the more ignorant your customer is, the easier the sale is going to be. You know, the more educated the client is, it might be a longer sales process or it might be more difficult for you to source the exact thing that they want. Um, so it's not as easy. So it's better and easier to keep your clients uninformed. On the flip side of that, the more educated the customer is, if they have a positive experience, the more loyal they'll be because they don't want to go anywhere else. Yes. Because you're the one that taught them everything. Exactly. That is, that is the goal. Um, when people go down this rabbit hole, uh, I guess they say the customer in 2023 is very smart. They're doing the research. They're looking at GIA. They're looking at all, they're looking at all these different sort of things, these sources, whatever. Um, they're looking at your social. What are the things that, and we'll go a little bit more into like the nuances of the industry and what to look for, but I'm just very curious. What are the things that they just very quickly, they should be thinking about when they start to look for rings? What Let's like set the benchmark or the framework for these are best practices for who you want to do business with, uh, types of uh, things that matter, things that don't matter in diamonds, for example. Yeah, and it is it is um, a daunting experience once you first start because there's so much information and misinformation and options and things to consider. So, you know, first and foremost, I would say um, do your research and take everything with a grain of salt. Like see where if you when you're doing your research you know, what are the motivations behind this? Because a lot of information is not unbiased information. So do a lot of your own research first. I would say, um, you know, even before you're planning on getting engaged, it doesn't hurt to like try on as many different shapes, styles, things like that, you know, months, even years before. It's not embarrassing. It's just something you want to come prepared, knowing what you're looking for, what you want to prioritize, where you're willing to compromise on. And, um, you know, what you want your investment to go to. Like, are you looking, 
Are you looking for something that, you know, is going to stand the test of time, is going to hold its value? Or are you looking for just like the biggest thing? Um, and the, everyone has their own goals. If you are going to buy a natural diamond, I would say you want to buy a GIA certified diamond. Um, there are lots of other gemological labs out there um, that just aren't as strict. So GIA has the, it's the foremost authority in diamond grading. They have the strictest standards. They invented the four C's, the color, cut, clarity, um, those standards. So you want to make sure if you're going to purchase something that you know the quality of what it is. Um, then you want to make sure if you're buying a natural diamond, I wouldn't recommend anything that's color or clarity enhanced, um, because it's just going to devalue your stone. Um, and then you want to work with someone who it, you trust, someone who you believe is going to have the correct motivations behind the purchase, have, has your best interests in mind, is going to be an advocate for you. Um, so I would, you know. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution, it's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 
1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC, everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepasswordcom Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepasswordcom Clary for two weeks free. Narrow that down to, after you do your research, narrow down to a few different sources and then whoever you feel most comfortable with that you feel that you can trust, go with that source. Um, Okay, no, that's good. <laughs> I, I I know that you're I know that you're holding back because you're like, okay, so how much you're probably thinking how much how how nerdy does Scott want me to go right now with <laughs> what you should be looking yeah. for in a diamond? Um, I can get my new yeah, yeah. No, I've no doubt. We'll go there. We'll 100 go there. Um, when when people are looking at you know you mentioned um, GIA is kind of the gold standard. Does that? Just from an industry perspective, does that add a, it's a it adds a significant premium? I'm assuming to diamonds that are GA certified, or, or because there's other there's other uh, like bodies that would review diamonds, but you're saying this is like sort of like the benchmark. So if you just want to be sure and you don't want, is there like a lot of fraud? I guess is the question. No, I just like basically it's not like fraud. It's just there's a slight premium for it, but that is um you know for the knowledge and peace of mind that you are purchasing something that is what it is like for instance i had a diamond and i had it certified by two different labs i had it certified by gia and another lab just to see what the discrepancy would be because everyone says oh it's about two color grades different or two clarities different or whatnot this diamond came back from gia and for the those who i don't know if i can should get into like the nitty-gritty but Color grade starts at D, which is completely colorless and goes all the way down to Z. This one came back as an I color, which was near colorless. In terms of clarity, it came back um, in the slightly included range. Clarity refers to the natural inclusions in the diamond. So it came as an SI2. So it was an ISI2 from GIA. And from another lab, it came back as an EVS2. So obviously they graded it as a much higher grade, second highest color, which is very far from I, E to I, and VS2 to SI2 is um, about, yes, three clarity grades different. So, you know, if you think you're getting a great deal on an EVS2, you probably aren't because it's an actuality in ISI2. Oh, I understand. Okay, so there... So it's not just the GA certification. If somebody grades it at a high, so you actually, if you grade it at a higher standard, in theory, you could be paying more for something that actually isn't worth what they're saying it's worth if they're grading it at a certain grade. Oh, okay. So then, yeah, then the premium doesn't really matter because you're getting what that diamond actually is as opposed to like and some marked up. And what it's worth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm trying to think when, when people... When people are looking for uh, these diamonds, obviously super emotional purchase, is this an investment opportunity or is that not what you should think about when you're looking to buy a diamond? You know, I think in terms of what does an investment mean? Like, do you, it's not like investing in stocks or putting your money into a CD or something, but diamonds do have, natural diamonds do have inherent value and they do fluctuate with the market. So I would say, you know, if you bought a diamond in the 90s, 
that diamond is worth a lot more even on the regular market than it is than it was when you purchased it. You also have to take into consideration of where you purchased the diamond. Did you purchase it from a luxury retailer because they probably had a significant markup and if you're trying to resell it in the near future, you're probably not going to recoup what you paid retail for it. But if you paid, you know, a lot of our clients who bought something in 2018 who, you know, decided to resell or something in 2021 when prices were much higher, they some people made money on their diamonds. So it really depends on the market. One great thing about natural diamonds is that because it will have that inherent value, you can always trade it in or upgrade it. I know it's not something that people think about when they're getting engaged that, oh, I'm not planning on, you know, ever selling it or, you know, trading it in or upgrading it. But, you know, more often than not, that happens a lot. So, you know, although you don't plan on things happening, it's a great um, way to have like peace of mind insurance. It's also um to have that inherent value is great for passing it on to generations to come. Like my engagement ring is an heirloom and, you know, hopefully one day I will pass it down too, just to have that not only sentimental, but, you know, monetary value attached to it too. I just want to take a quick second and tell you about one more podcast you have to check out if you're a fan of Success Story. It's Sales Evangelist, hosted by Donald Kelly, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network each week. Donald interviews the world's best sales experts, successful sellers, sales leaders, and entrepreneurs who share their strategies to succeed in sales right now. He brings on Jeffrey Gittimer, Jill Conrath, Bob Berg, Guy Kawasaki. They share actionable insights and stories that will encourage, challenge, and motivate you to hustle your way to more revenue for your business. If you're somebody who's looking to take off in your sales career, if you are an entrepreneur who's looking to sell more, I think all of us are, go listen to Sales Evangelist wherever you get your podcasts. I love that. So like obviously we're gonna we're gonna talk about lab grown in a second, which is which is I guess by most people's standards, especially somebody in the industry, pretty much worthless compared to a natural diamond. But in terms of natural diamond value, it does retain to a degree there's a lot of variables at play. So it's not like, because I hear like, listen, I hear people say, listen, I'm going to go buy a Birkin or I'm going to buy, a, you know, a Chanel because it shows X percent increase in value over time. It's not as aggressive as that. It's not as aggressive as a stock. I'm sure you could make the same argument for uh, a Patek or an AP or some, even some Rolexes, they, they increase in value. It is a luxury purchase, but there's other variables at play than just, I think it's probably more difficult for the average person to like have a good ROI on a diamond purchase if they don't know what they're doing because it also, I, it I, also I only know very minimum. Go ahead. Sorry. It also depends on like the market conditions because like um, in the past two years up until this year, like diamond prices were skyrocketing. They were super high. Um, so, you know, if you bought at the right time and you traded in or sold it at the right time, just like with any sort of stock that, you know, that paid off for you. But also I don't think most people are purchasing their engagement rings, um, trying to like resell it or make a profit in the short term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just one more, one more curiosity about the industry. Like when you, when you got into the, you've been in this industry for a long time. So you're obviously, um, very well aware of what's, what's good value, what's good quality. Um, what's, what's real, what's, not in terms of lab grown, but is there, 
in this particular industry, because like in all luxury good industries, there's a certain amount of fraud. Is there a significant amount of fraud in this industry or is it not because of GIA and other sort of bodies like that? You know, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ways that customers can get taken advantage of. But there have been a lot of elements in place to um, protect customers like GIA certificates. I think right now with the lab grown and natural, um, I think there's a lot more fraud going on um, because it's uh, harder to detect the differences. Like we have a machine that every single piece of jewelry we make goes through so it can detect if there's any like mixing in like parcels of lab grown with natural, I think. You know, I've seen a lot of people trade in their natural diamonds for larger lab-grown diamonds, which I believe in and of itself is fraud because that jeweler is taking something with value and giving them something bigger that's worth zero dollars and um, misleading the, cu the customer. So in terms of fraud, I think that's the most rampant thing that's happening. Um, and it's, I think, you know, our responsibility as like, anyone in the industry that if you're dealing with the consumer directly, like it's your responsibility to be honest and upfront. But unfortunately that's not, um, not the case a lot of the time. So let's talk about, let's talk about lab grown. Um, so maybe just give a brief, uh, just a, like a brief explanation as to how they're actually made for people that don't understand and what they are. Uh, I am curious about why, why you feel that they're worthless, um, how they're priced, I'm curious about profit, uh, like the the points that you can make on a lab grown versus a natural. So let's just go into it, and this can be like a, a masterclass on you know candidly why not to to buy a lab grown diamond. So like start off with how they're made because I I don't even know. So basically, natural diamonds are formed under the Earth's surface near kimberlite pipes, kimberlite deposits over you know in very specific circumstances under high pressure high temperature over billions of years um it's kind of like a natural miracle that occurs there are no new diamonds that are being formed all diamonds the natural diamonds have already been formed we're just extracting them so most diamond mines will be depleted in the next 20 or 30 years and some of the largest diamond mines like the argyle mine in australia and a very large mine in canada have already been depleted so I think it is a misconception to think there are unlimited supplies of natural diamonds and they're not a rare and finite resource because they are and that's why they maintain value. Lab-grown diamonds mimic this um, natural uh, formation process, but in a laboratory. There are two main ways of creating lab-grown diamonds. There's chemical vapor deposition, CVD, or high-pressure, high-temperature, HPHT. Um, basically, you know, the slight nuances and differences between how to make them. Most of them come with a carbon or diamond seed, and then it is built, the lab grown diamond is built around that. Um, and then basically most, um, lab grown diamonds are mass manufactured. Um, right now, most of them are being produced in China, um, and in India, uh, the rough, which is you know, before the diamond is cut and polished, obviously a rough natural diamond looks very, very different than a rough lab-grown diamond. Lab-grown diamonds are kind of like in these cookie cutter sheets. They're cut into these like perfect squares and then they're polished and cut. Um, so obviously the inclusions um, in lab-grown diamonds are going to be very different than natural diamonds because natural diamonds have 
um, natural, uh, like organic inclusions that, um, you know, you can't, you can't replicate or they, they wouldn't, they're not trying to replicate those natural inclusions. But chemically, if you're going to go to the chemical level, like, yes, they are chemically the same thing in terms of carbon, their growth structures are different. There are ways of telling the differences through machinery. But if you are looking at your friend's ring and you're not inspecting it, you're probably not going to be able to tell the difference. The main difference is their mass. Would you be able to? If I'm inspecting would you, would you be able to? Loop, yes. But if I'm just looking at it, like, uh, like I probably couldn't tell the difference between a real Birkin bag and a fake Birkin bag if someone was wearing it on the street either. Um, but the main difference is it's a mass manufactured product. Um, there's unlimited supply. Um, a lot of people have the misconception that it's more ethical or more sustainable, which is the fact that is, I mean, like that bothers me so much because like they're, they use an insane amount of greenhouse gases, especially methane. It's basically the fast fashion of diamonds. Once you purchase it, it is worth a zero. There is zero resale value. It's not like they're less value. They are completely worthless. Um, and it's not going to help. Those diamonds aren't helping anyone. Whereas with the natural diamonds, like I've been to Botswana, I would say three times in the last 18 months. And that's one of the locations where most of our natural diamonds um, are mined from. And the fact that an entire country like relies on a natural resource that they have, you know, have, uh, you know, used to better like their people and their economy. They were one of the poorest countries pre-1960s. Um, after independence, they found their natural diamond deposits and have used that to become a very wealthy nation. Every single person in the entire country goes to school for free anywhere in the country through graduate school. They have free healthcare. They have amazing infrastructure. And I think that us as Americans, um, which and we are the largest consumers of nat of diamonds in general, we like to think of Africa as one place and it's bad and like there are children dying in these mines. It's a highly technical operation and you need you know, very skilled labor to extract the diamonds. It's not like there are like children digging holes. So I think that, you know, we grew up with that narrative of blood diamond, but it's really actually doing actual Africans a disservice to blanket everyone together and just be like, well, I'm going to buy a lab grown because it's, it's more ethical or more sustainable when in fact it's not at all. And, you know, I, and I want to just sort of paint this picture because, you are in this industry and you're in this business and several and you have this stance, but I want to make sure people understand that this stance is not biased. And what I mean by that is I know several of your competitors are probably very happy to just go with the market and to sell lab grown and to make money on it because you can you can make a good margin on lab grown and you can build a good business. So it's not like, oh, I started in natural and that's why. I don't like lab grown. It's really you you have strong convictions for a reason and it's and it and you could in theory overnight start selling lab grown under the clear cut and make money on it. And 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 it could turn right? You have the customer base. You have everybody set up. We have left millions and millions of dollars on the table. Like the reason why we decided not to sell lab grown when I mean it would have been the easy thing to do to just be like, yeah, we'll sell lab grown. It's like 
you can make so much more money on it because you have like 300% margins on lab grown diamonds right now. You have Is that the case? Is that actually the case when that's how much money you can make on it? Yeah. Um, right now, so we, we were the first people to launch a free lab grown travel ring to like show the value I'm purchasing lab grown diamonds right now for about a hundred, $150 per carat, um, our travel ring. And these are, these are like, I, so a two carat diamond would be, let's conservatively say like $300, whereas some of my competitors are selling that exact same diamond, same quality for last year, like $15,000, maybe now like $5,000. So it's an insane margin. That's why like the misinformation is really being perpetuated by the industry. And a lot of people are like, you know what, I don't really care about, you know, my consumer or like the long term, you know, value of my brand, I just want to make money now. So, you know, the reason why we decided not to sell lab grown is because when we first started, the whole goal was I will never recommend something to one of my customers that I wouldn't recommend to my best friend or it was built on education. And that's something that we felt very strongly that we still wanted to empower our customers and really give them the proper information to make the right types of purchases. So it didn't feel right to, you know, to sell lab grown, even though that is the, e the easiest way to make money right now, for sure. So, so you're, you're, I mean, it's, a, so it sounds like the way you're saying it, it's only a matter of time before like the lowest bidder can flood the market with lab grown dime. If you're buying at $150 or whatever it is per carat, that's like free, basically in terms of diamonds, that's basically free Only for free. Yeah. And the thing is, that's why everyone, there is all this misinformation to market lab grown to keep the prices up to a certain level so people can continue to make their high margins. Also, another reason why we decided not to go into this is because when I was at GIA becoming a gemologist, you know, la synthetic lab-grown gemstones have been around forever. Synthetic rubies, emeralds, sapphires, these things, this technology has been around and we saw what happened. There was a spike when they were first introduced and now they're completely worthless and no one wants them. So that's just a matter of time what's going to happen to the lab grown diamond. But with but that's only if like we can tell the story properly and properly educate the consumer, because, you know, when the industry doesn't have the consumer's interest in mind, then, you know, this is just going to continue and people are going to continue to get ripped off. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, as somebody who's I'm, I'm I'm looking at diamonds, I'm looking at rings and it's it's very confusing. Like it's like it's super, super confusing to figure out what why these diamonds are priced at the price that they're at for lab grown. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and they seem to be changing all the time. So then you just default to, OK, let's just get natural. But then you look at natural and it seems like, well, it's the same thing for 5x, 6x the cost. So as like a as a layman consumer, you start to wonder what are the actual differences outside of the fact that I'm sure my you know girlfriend would kick my ass if I bought a lab grown, but that's besides the point. Um, a lot of people probably they probably just fall victim to it because it's easy and it's cheap and it looks good. Yeah, so I think it's really you know you really have to understand what the differences are, and I think the story, you, the natural industry, you know, because it's old school, because they've been doing the same thing forever, they're like oh, lab grown just a phase, like people will understand. But 
no, there is a new generation of consumer that's coming up and we need to educate them properly and understand when you buy a natural diamond, what does that mean and what's the impact that has? Because people just dance around it. But actually, if you're buying a natural diamond from a country of origin that is, you know, mining ethically, you're not only like directly impacting people, communities, entire countries, but you're holding that inherent value, something that is worth something that you can pass down for generations that has that meaning, like your engagement ring that means so much than just any other piece of jewelry. And I think lab-grown diamonds are going to be around. They are a new category. I think they're great for things like our travel ring when you don't want to wear your natural diamond engagement ring around. Or if you want to buy something, you know, that's very trendy for one season and don't want to spend, you know, money on naturals. I think naturals is going to be something that you really want to invest in and something that, you know, you're going to wear forever. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns into like uh, like costume jewelry, which is no issue with that. Yeah. There's, There's nothing no wrong with that at all. Different category. And for someone to say it's the same thing and say and to go even further to say they're sustainable and ethical is just ridiculous. And it's just because they want to make their money now on their customer. Well, I also think that, you know, they're, they're again, you sort of said, like, as as a, as a business, it's your responsibility to take care of your consumer. And I think what people could be doing that are selling lab grown is probably the opposite, where um it's hard right now as, as a, as a, as a young person, I mean, cost of living is through the roof. People can't afford homes. Like it, it's insane. Like how much it costs to live really, let's be honest. So when it costs a shit ton of money to live, like I'm, I'm actually curious because you probably know the stats, how much people are spending in certain age brackets on engagement rings. But if you can find a way to save 10,000, 5,000, 3,000, whatever it is amount of money on a diamond ring and it and you you feel justified because some sales rep told you it's more ethical. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to to persuade you. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? I think for a lot of people, I would go further and say like I would I personally would recommend, you know, with whatever budget. Hey guys, I don't know if you know this, but I love biohacking. I love testing out new foods, new supplements to feel my best, look my best, perform my best. That's why I'm so excited that we partnered up with Neurohacker. They're sponsoring today's podcast. So this is something new, Senolytics. These are cutting edge ingredients that are making waves in the world of healthy aging. If you're looking to optimize your energy, feel your best no matter what your age, you definitely have to start researching this. This is why I'm super excited to be talking about Qualia Senolytics. See, as we get older, these things called Senescent cells build up. They're basically old, worn-out cells that hang around and mess things up. They cause aches, slow recovery, a general blah feeling. Think of them as zombie cells. Qualia Senolytic gives your body a kickstart to clear those out. Think of it like a deep cleaning for your body on the cellular level, making way for your good cells to thrive. Honestly, before I tried this, I was a bit skeptical, but guys, the difference blew me away. Within a few months, Energy levels are through the roof. I felt sharper. My workouts felt better. This middle-aged sluggishness, it's gone. And you can take quality, this middle-aged sluggishness, mostly gone. So if you're ready to fight those aging effects at the source, head over to neurohacker.com slash success pod. That's neurohacker.com slash success pod for up to $100 off and use the code success pod 
for an extra 15% off your order. And just a quick disclaimer, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food or Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And this review represents my personal experience and opinions and is not a guaranteed promise or reflection of anyone else's results. I was given free product in exchange for this endorsement. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally checked something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You don't need to be buying like a four carat lab grown, you know, buy a one, one and a half carat natural diamond and trade it up in a few years when you are like more financially established or, you know, that time comes, but that you're that you're still going to have that value in the stone, you know, or if you are buying lab grown now, like aspire to one day, maybe purchase a natural diamond, but if you're going to buy lab grown, you just can't overpay for it. You just, if you're paying what it's worth, then I'm totally fine with it. I just don't like clients getting taken advantage of, you know? Yeah. Do you have an idea, like just in terms of trends, because I've noticed in the US, people spend a lot of money on engagement rings. And then I've seen trends in Europe where the rings are much smaller and maybe not as flashy. Um, but I am curious for the average person in the US, uh, let's let's pick an uh, pick a professional salary. You know they make a hundred. I don't even know if that's a. It's easy to live on a hundred k in New York or, or Miami or LA anymore because I don't think it is. But say they're making a hundred hundred and fifty k per year. Um, they're you know at a university, white collar profession, doing well. What do they What do they spend? What is the What is the the thing that you see most people budgeting towards this? Well, I would say that I can kind of give you a broader view. I would say that I think 
You know, in the past years, the average engagement ring in the U.S. was around $5,000. I think now it's gone down to closer to $3,000. Um, what I would say for us is, you know, we can give you a gorgeous, good quality, natural two-carat diamond starting around $12,000. And if you want, for us, our customer base does lean a little bit like more affluent, I would say. So our our average price point of diamond engagement rings that we see are probably between like fifteen to thirty thousand um, dollars. But we work with clients that start at five thousand, that go over five hundred thousand, and we treat every single client the exact same way. Okay, so there, but yes, okay. So if you're serving a more affluent clientele, then yeah, the the prices skew up. But you actually have seen a slight reduction in in the total spend, um, which is interesting. I'm curious as to why. For like, yeah, for around the U.S., I think because of the introduction of lab-grown diamonds and just the costs of everything else going up, like the economy, you know, isn't what it was a few years ago. Um, speak to me. Uh, give me like a little bit of a rundown of of like ethically sourced diamonds versus not. I mean, you you you've gone to Botswana a, a few times now, um, and that's you know you you mentioned that. That, that country's economy has been propped up by ethically sourced and mined diamonds. I mean, if I think of unethical, I think of that movie, Blood Diamond. I think that was DiCaprio. But that's like, again, I don't know much about this industry. So what what is ethical versus unethical? Do we even like even have to worry about that if we're shopping at like a diamond district store? Or is that something that really doesn't affect the day to day of, of an individual looking for a diamond ring? I would say that the natural diamond industry is probably one of the natural diamonds are probably one of the most regulated natural resources um, because of the emphasis consumers, you know, demanded um, on the industry. So, yes, that movie um, showed what was happening in the 90s in uh, West Africa during a civil war. Right now, any natural diamond that is coming to the U.S. market goes through the Kimberley process, which um, you know, which maintains that that diamond definitely did not fuel any sort of conflict that is ethically sourced. But now even more so, there's so much amazing blockchain technology that's been implemented in natural diamonds that people don't know about, where, you know, in now most diamonds that are coming out of the earth are being tracked on the blockchain from where they were mined, where they were cut. So, you know, the country of origin, the direct impact that it had, so you can know, did it come from Botswana, Namibia, Canada, South Africa, and, you know, the impact that it had and where it came from. And I think this is just going to be the standard going forward. So, you know, yes, I would say it's not something that anyone has to worry about, had to worry about for the last like 10, 15 years, if their natural diamond is ethically sourced coming to the U.S. market. But now it's like beyond ethically sourced where you can know exactly, you know, the origin. And because I think that uh, before I even, you know, before I even knew the clear cut existed and, and, you know, even a couple of years ago when I just look, I was sort of told, go to Diamond District, look for, I guess, like a broker certificate on the wall. And that means that you're going to get a good deal. And that person's, you know, a verified broker. But now you're talking about blockchain, um, which is super interesting. So this is actually, you know, I, I've, <laughs> I, I always have an issue because there's so much focus on blockchain and, and, and almost like the 
the you know the 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 making money side of it and the people are raising money for this project that project nfts whatever hype fomo all this stuff but so there actually are companies that do a really good job of tracing from from source from like the whole supply chain now yes and i think this is one of the best use cases of the blockchain um you know if you want to trace from the source where it's coming from and like if you are a customer and you're considering buying a diamond i would like think you know, take it a step further. Like, do you know where your lab grown diamond came from? Do you know what factory in China came from? What are the working conditions there? Who did it contribute to? And are you placing that lab grown diamond in a mined metal like gold or platinum? And why do you not care about the metal, but you care about the stone? Because I don't think, you know, it's so interesting. I don't think people put that much thought into it. People just follow what they're told to follow. And if they know that there's an ethical and unethical diamond source in terms of natural diamonds that they focus on but do lab growns i'm assuming they don't get the same treatment so they could be from some factory in china where people are not taken care of and, and whatnot 99 of them are being made mass manufactured in china and india with i don't think very I don't know what the working conditions are or the greenhouse gas emissions are from that process. Shit, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all. But people don't think about that because the industry is not focused on that and they're not sort of bringing that to light. Is that what I was, you know, when we were prepping for this, um, it, I was looking at some of the things that you're working on right now. Is that what Tracer is? Is that that blockchain technology? Yeah, so we um, we have been working with Tracer, which is a, one of the blockchain technologies um, that trace from mine um, all the way through the polished stone. So um, that is something that we'll be introducing or have upon request now, but we'll be introducing um, to the public soon in the near future. <laughs> I love that. I want to ask just a few more, <laughs> a few more engagement, quick like rapid fire, um, because I want to know. Uh, what's the most common shape? What's the most common, like the most commons for people that are listening? I'm sure there's some people that are very interested just so they have a, a good idea of what, you know, the rest of their friends are doing when they're buying engagement rings. Um, we'll ask that in a second. But I'm also very curious, is this a recession proof business for, for you outside of being online? Do you notice consumer trends change at all when the market's not great. The economy's not great. Do people slow down on engagement rings or are people still, this is a life milestone they keep buying? You know, what's interesting is that they always said that this was a recession proof business because people were always going to get engaged, but they might just buy, you know, smaller diamond or whatnot. But what's so interesting is we started in 2018 and every single year since our business inception has been not normal. So obviously we started and then it was COVID and then it was this post-COVID boom. And then now it's, you know, inflation and whatever's going on now with lab grown. So I have no idea, you know, engagements have always been one of the steadiest, um, most predictable parts of the jewelry industry. But I think it was the CEO of Signet that mentioned this, that engagements usually take three years from meeting your partner on average and you know this year had the lowest um, number of engagements because about three years ago was lockdown so we went through a very unique time in the world where for like six months people like weren't meeting each other at all and at that mm -hmm. time we had one of the highest rates of engagement because people were locked in with their partners 
um, and had nothing else to do. So I, I, <laughs> yep. I historically, yes, but who knows what the future holds every single year, you know, people ask if there's seasonality in my business. And I say, you know, typically it should, but then one year vaccines came out and then one year we couldn't leave our houses. So I have no, I have no idea. I love it. No, it's just, it's, it's amazing to just see trends like this because you're right. This is like unprecedented times, but you know what? Smart people figure it out as, as you've shown, as you've, as you've shown like time and time again. Um, okay. So for people that are listening that are, are going to be mad if I don't ask you these questions, um, what are the, the most common, the, the most common carrot size, the most common shape, the most common setting? I know it's all personal, but like humor me. What are the, what are the, what are the things you notice? For, for the clear cut specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for the customers that buy from you, yeah. Yeah, I would say like in general, obviously round brilliance are the most like common traditional diamond. It's kind of like the shape of the diamond when you when you think of a diamond. But for us, a lot of um, clients that come to us um, come to us specifically because they can't find um, what they're looking for at their local jeweler or online. So things that we really specialize in and see a trend for are fancy shaped diamonds. So those are diamonds that aren't traditional round brilliance. Right now, emerald cuts and cushion cuts, especially elongated cushion cuts, are very um, trendy. Um, ovals have been very popular for the past, you know, three, four years and are still like pretty solid. Um, in terms of styles of engagement rings, even though every single one of our engagement... Oh, and we also focus a lot and specialize on, on antique diamonds, like old mines and old Europeans. Those are really hard to source and they're really rare, but we specialize in finding them for our clients. Um, but in terms of styles, you know, we do everything completely custom. So we'll, we've done, you know, crazy designs, like things that are super unique. Bezel settings are very in right now. But still, I would say the most um, requested setting is going to be our super skinny solitaire. Um, it's just a really thin, delicate, handmade solitaire ring with a one and a half millimeter band. Um, hidden halos have still been very popular. I would say one distinction I've noticed in the past year is that people were wanting like the skinniest, skinniest, skinniest band possible. They're like 1.5 is like too thick. And I'm like, that is the, you, you can't wear anything thinner than that every day. But now people are kind of like, eh, I want something maybe closer to 1.8, something a little bit more substantial. We've been seeing a lot of thicker wedding bands paired um, with engagement rings. So kind of like a slightly more like masculine vibe. Um, so those are some recent trends that we've seen people wanting like twists on classics, something a little different than their friends have had. I love this. Okay. The last thing that I, I have to have to have to ask you about, and I think it's so important because it's, it's important to me, um, as somebody that does also work with my spouse to a degree. Um, cause every single day we're building stuff together, even though we have two separate businesses, we're always collaborating. So not as, not as, a, not as in the same business as you are with Kyle, but still, um, you know, two people that are always trying to build together. I think it's very important, but I am curious because it can either be building with your spouse can either be the, the most strategic thing you can do as a CEO, founder, entrepreneur, or it can be the most stressful thing you do. So you're building this business with Kyle. Walk me through that relationship, how you make that work, the, the strengths, the weaknesses. Do you advise Building a business with a partner, I'm very much for it, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I would assume you are too, because you're still doing it. But 
um, yeah, give us give us a rundown on 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 that working relationship because everything is now inside the house. All the stresses and the wins are inside the house as well. You know, it's really funny because um, I always said I would never ever do business with a partner. Um, mainly because my parents had a business together and ultimately it did not work out. So I saw that firsthand. And so I said, I have no interest in doing anything like this. So when Kyle and I decided to go into business together, um, I was, I was really hesitant. We weren't even engaged. We were just dating. Um, and obviously was advised against it, but I would say it is probably, and it, I think it depends on every relationships dynamic like for us we have very different skill sets and we have a lot of respect for each other's skill sets and each other's positions in the company and I think it's one of the most rewarding things when we have the same you know goals and visions for the business you know because we are you know committed to like our future and like our personal life we're committed to a future together in this business and I think you know it's it can be even like if you have a friend who's your co-founder, you know, you may have different visions for the future. So I think, you know, when you work with your spouse or your partner, sometimes it can be, you know, even better because you have like the same goals in mind. Um, so he really deals with a lot of like, you know, he went to business school. He knows like he does like the finances, the accounting, all the boring stuff that like I am not interested in doing. And like I'm definitely more of like the product person, um, the content person. So, you know, I don't really step into his lane very much. He sometimes will step into my lane, but that's totally fine when he has good ideas. Um, the, I would say the hardest thing about it is, um, you know, when we never stop talking about business, we literally, it's, we never turn off. We're together at work all day. Then we're home and we're talking about it, but we kind of talk about it. Like this is the like clear cut is our like first child together. Like this is you know, we built it from scratch and like one day, hopefully we'll take it to like the next level, but like we're both in it, um, for the long haul. So I think it can be one of like the most rewarding things to do with your partner. Has it ever, has it ever caused stress or, or, or I'm assuming, I mean, that's a, st a stupid question. Building a business will cause stress regardless. I'm sure it does cause stress. I think probably the better question would be when stuff isn't working that well, do you have tips? And you know what? These are going to be these are going to be tips that are good for your specific situation, but they'll also sort of bleed into just co-founder tips if they're not if you know the co-founders are not together. But how do you manage that stress when you live with the person? How do you make sure that it doesn't sabotage? How do you make sure that what unfortunately happened to your parents doesn't happen to yourself? I think at least for me, I am so grateful to have him there going through harder, stressful times with me because I can talk about it. I can strategize. I can vent. I can have someone there who really understands what I'm going through. No one, it's, you know, being a founder can be extremely isolating. Like a lot of your friends may not be able to relate to you or give you the right advice. So I think like I found a lot of comfort, especially in hard times to have him have that shared experience and be able to, you know, think about solutions with me. I love that. I, I love that you've, you found that working cadence that works and you see, you see it as like a net positive. I think it's, it's so powerful because you've already solved for trust in, in the person that you're 
that you're working with, right? In the co-founder, which is literally the hardest thing to, to figure out when you're partnering up with somebody. Um, so I'll, I'll sort of give you the floor to, to close this out. Um, what can people be excited about with the clear cut going forward? Um, things that you're working on, other things that you want to hype people up about that you're going to launch in the future, sort of give us a rundown of the next, you know, next 12 months. Yeah. So I would say, um, who knows what the next 12 months will hold, but, um, (laughs) we're really focused on our overall goal of being, you know, this generation's jeweler for life. Um, we will continue to come out with amazing educational content, hopefully, you know, hopefully instilling, um, more confidence in, consumers, giving people more information, new amazing products and new launches, um, kind of talked a little bit about um, blockchain, country of origin. That's something that we're really going to double down on next year um, and really, you know, show our community, you know, the real amazing impacts that natural diamonds have um, on people, countries, communities, and um, you know, continuing to make beautiful jewelry and, um, being part of people's, you know, special moments. Um, yeah. I love that. No, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very noble, it's a very noble mission that you're, you're, you're doing. I think that anybody that has that, that place in the most important purchase in somebody's life, most important event in somebody's life, in some cases, it's, it, I'm glad, I'm glad you're behind the wheel on it because sort of even like, you know, this, this quick hour podcast it's it's very telling as to the fact that maybe some people in the industry don't have the best you know and best interest in mind for people that are trying to navigate this super super important part of their life so i appreciate you a lot um i would say uh i want to just ask two sort of rapid fire questions to close this out before i ask those where should where should people go um where do you want to send people to connect with you i mean obviously all the websites, all the socials, just drop anything you want to drop. Yeah. So you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the clear cut. And if you want to check out our collection or shop our collection or read about all of our blog posts or clear cut couples, you can go to our website, which is theclearcut.co. Okay, perfect. Um, if you had to, out of all the things that you sort of figured out in your business, if you had to go back and tell your 20 year old self one thing, what would that thing be? Um, I would say to trust my instincts, um, more, uh, at least when I was starting out, you know, you have, you're really unsure. You have a lot of imposter syndrome. I like couldn't even like speak in front of like a group of five people. And I think, you know, I was always like, why me? I don't really, why not someone else? Like, I don't know enough. Like what if people aren't you know, while receiving it, like even starting my, my blog, like I was like, I'm going to be embarrassed. People are going to make fun of me. So I just think like trusting your instincts, believing in yourself, not caring about what people think about you. And I think that comes with like age and time and maturity. But if I could tell my 20 year old self that I would just say like, trust yourself, do it. Who cares what people think? And it it just takes one step. Um, What's to say a journey of like a thousand miles takes like the first step. Yes, I love it. Um, and then last question, you've had, you know, an incredible career, uh, you're still building, you're very much in it right now. But when you look forward into the future, we've sort of spoken about what 
what the future looks like for the clear cut and for your, your business mission. But on a personal level, what does success in life look like to you? Success in life, um, I would say, you know, being happy and being, you know, fulfilled with, you know, as long as I'm having fun and feeling like I have purpose in what I'm doing every day, that is what success is to me. Every day I wake up with like a mission and a purpose and feeling very fulfilled um, and having like something to look forward to. And that's something I never not want to have. So I think that is what success looks like for me. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.